Welcome to the Passion Business Podcast, the podcast for free spirits with a big idea who want to turn their passion into a business. I'm Anke Herman and I'm your host. My guest today is a marketing agency founder, podcaster and musician. He runs a podcast launch and production agency based in San Diego and heads an international team that helps business coaches, consultants and thought leaders use done-for-you podcasting to attract an audience and become micro-famous. He's the author of Micro-Famous and currently hosts the Micro-Famous podcast. Welcome, Matt Johnson. Hello and welcome, Matt. I'm excited to have you here. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Fabulous. Well, let's just dive straight in. Let, why don't you let people know where you're based and where you're from and what's your business? Okay. Well, based in San Diego, although I'm not originally from here, I'm from the Midwest and, and the States and uh, from the land of cold and snow. And so I'm very much enjoying living out in San Diego. But basically what I do is I help thought leaders launch and produce podcasts. So we work with a lot of business coaches and consultants and speaker author types. And uh, about five years ago, I was just some dude working in a marketing agency, working for somebody else. And he had the, the idea to kind of promote me into business development. And his idea was we're going to do all these Google Hangouts with these people that we have, you know, strategic relationships with. And so I started hosting these live video events with big people in the real estate space because that's where most mm -hmm. of the clients were of that agency. And I got a chance to just hang out with these people and ask them good questions. And it turns out my background from low many years ago back in real estate came in handy because I, I had read all the books and I knew who the coaches were and stuff like that. So I was just able to ask good questions. So those, those Google Hangouts went well to the point where one of the people I was co-hosting them with just called me up one day and said, hey man, I'd love to start a podcast with you. And it's funny because I was thinking about pitching him the same idea. I was going to call him like the next week. So it was good timing. Wow. Um, and that show ended up doing really well. I still co-host that to this day. It's called Real Estate Uncensored. Has like a million and a half downloads and essentially made took me from being just a nobody that worked inside a marketing agency to speaking at industry events and being kind of micro-famous in that space in about 18 months. And so I watched that that transformation like with my own eyes and, and, and lived through that. And then that kind of led to people asking me like, Hey, how are you doing this? How are you hosting multiple podcasts? And like, I ended up in like four different businesses. I was a partner in coaching, consulting business, all this stuff. Anyway, point being, I got sucked into being an agency owner. So that was never my intention. I was doing like three or four other things. I was going to do coaching, consulting. I was going to speak in real estate. I was going to be in real estate, happy as a clam for the rest of my life. And then I got pulled into starting and launching podcasts and producing them and now we produce a bunch of shows and that's my sole focus so I run the agency in about three to four hours a week which leaves me the time to still do the stuff that I'm passionate about you know like you can see on video I'm surrounded by all the musical instruments and stuff so I still get to make music and work on that in my off hours because I have a business that I can run in just a few hours a week oh that sounds that sounds like heaven <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, know about heaven but it's not bad I love I love how how it sort of naturally evolved, you know, out of yeah. basically being open and exploring and and following the path in front of you a little bit. Like that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I, I got off of that path quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mentioned that I was in a few different businesses, and and like when I came out of, so I came out of an agency that sells one thing pretty much to one type of person. Mm -hmm. And I saw the beauty and the simplicity in that model. And I saw how my mentor scaled that up to where they have 500 clients just paying them monthly recurring 
you know, fees. And, uh, but when I got into that space, I got tempted and I got drawn off course because I was good enough at what I did that I started to get other opportunities and they all sounded cool and they were all with these amazing people that I wanted to work with. And so I said yes to way too much stuff. You know, I was in like, I was in two different coaching consulting companies. I was in a, like a content training material production business. And then I ended up in a business to take podcasting into the financial services space. And I looked up one day and realized that like every time I would have a meeting with my partners, I would walk away with a mile long to-do list of stuff that had to be done before the next meeting and they would not. And I'm like, well, this, this can't be. But what I really realized is that I, I, I had made like my first huge mistake in business, which I tried to do this thing where I thought I was focusing by being in like four different things, but they were all in one industry. Cause my idea was like, if you were any type of person and you came across me, if you bought anything, I made a cut off of it. Hmm. That was my idea at the time of being focused. And then I just, I woke up one day and realized this is, this is not focus. Selling one thing to one type of person is focus. And so when I made that decision to kind of get back on that track and I, I made that my goal, that's when I started to realize, okay, well, that means I need to get out of this. I need to get out of this, get out of this. And, and then I'm like, well, okay, well, if I'm going to get all, out of all that stuff, like what am I going to focus on? Well, I'm going to focus on the thing where I have 100% ownership and I get 100% of the reward when it goes well. So why do I not just dive into the podcast production and make that my, my sole thing? So just having that, that goal, you know, we talked about before, we hit record, just kind of knowing where you want to end up. You don't know exactly how to get there, but just knowing where you want to end up, that's where I wanted to end up. I wanted to have one thing to sell to one type of person and that helped clarify a lot. Yeah, and I love, I love how, I think a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of listeners can resonate because I was giggling, it's like, oh yeah. You know, it's like when the sort of the multi-passionate people, mm -hmm. you know, when you love a lot of things and you're good at a lot of stuff, so it's so tempting you know, mm -hmm. to take on this and take on that. And, and when you easily get excited about stuff, about new projects and creating something new, but yeah, you build yourself a hamster wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. You know, I, I was getting, because I, I do a fair bit of uh, podcast interviews in different spaces, and I got the opportunity to go on a podcast that's run by another agency owner. And we were set to do a pre-interview call, and she couldn't make it, so she sent her next in command. And the person said like, oh, they, you know, they weren't able to show up, you know, like she had, to put, had some fires to put out, you know how it is. And I'm thinking, no, no, I really don't. I don't. <laughs> but there's a reason for that, which is because we're so focused on like doing one thing for one type of person, we're able to put a lot of work into having really good systems where we do the same things over and over again. And because of that, we're able to attract and retain really good people. And they know exactly what they need to do each week. They know exactly what numbers they're responsible to hit. And we've encountered most of those problems before, and we can solve them once and for all. So like when, when our, all, most of our clients podcast, their shows launch on Thursday, when I used to wake up on a Thursday morning, that was a stress day, hmm. right? Because something was always going wrong in the early days when we were doing a whole bunch of different stuff for different people. The more that I focused and narrowed down, now I barely know when it's Thursday and I wake up. I, I, like I have so many other calls booked, I don't even think about the client launches anymore because I know my staff has it. Yeah. That, that only came as a result of us getting focused and super clear and doing one thing over and over again. And I think that people that are like multi-passionate and creative, if you never experience what that's like to like have things being done for clients that you don't have to worry about, you don't realize how much freedom and how much creativity that opens up. 
Whereas if you're doing all these different things, it almost like it's technically creative, but you're always in panic mode. So it almost like shuts the creative part of your brain down. Oh, that, this is gold right there. Like that's going to be the title of the episode. <laughs> because actually it's funny. I was speaking to, to somebody on, on a, on a, on a workshop yesterday about, mm -hmm. and she was talking about niching down and how the narrow that niche is and how, like this, the, the, the more precise you can define what you do for what kind of person, that that, that actually opens up all the opportunities yes. for your business. And people have so much resistance and I can understand it because I was kind of like, you know, <laughs> for a very yeah. long time, that idea of like, no, I don't want to like get this goal or that goal. And, but I love how you put that at actually when you know that this is taken care of and that that, that takes over, then all of a sudden you're free to create. Ooh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is, yeah, well, I mean, the book the book wouldn't exist, right? Something like, like I, there was a time starting like January of last year when I stopped booking any appointments in the afternoon. And that book wouldn't exist if, if I hadn't been able to do that. There's no way I could have written the book in the gaps between calls or, or on the evenings and weekends. I, I've got, you know, like I've got chronic fatigue and adrenal fatigue and like I've dealt with energy levels for years. I don't have 10 to 12 hours of my best work in me every day for any long stretch of time. And so I had to build the business in such a way that I wake up and I know I've got about four hours of labor intensive stuff and then I completely unplug. And then everything else after that is optional, which means it, it could be a, a day where I spend the rest of the afternoon taking a walk on the beach, or maybe it's a day where I spend the afternoon working on music and I completely unplug from the business. You know, for a while there, it was me working on the content for the book and I spent, an, you know, 60 to 90 minutes in a Starbucks writing, <laughs> writing the book, right? But none of that would have happened if I hadn't narrowed my focus and gotten the business to the point where it ran fairly smoothly. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I just realized that like when I was in that, in the panic mode, when I was on that hamster wheel of doing a whole bunch of different things for clients, I didn't have the mental and emotional space to even think about music. And there was, there was five years where I chased the dream as a pro musician. Like I, I have played the drum since I was two years old. It is, in, it is baked into the fabric of my being to play music and being on the hamster wheel of business completely shut that area of my life down for three years until I got the business straightened out. So yeah, like I, I think there's probably a lot of creatives out there that you think you're being creative in the business and it's actually shutting down. It's keeping you from being creative in the things you're actually really passionate about. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Now, what I'm curious about when you left the agency, you know, who was your? How did you get your very first client that was just yours? Well, a couple of things. So, and this this goes back to the kind of the idea of niching down, right? So, my very first consulting client, which by the way paid for all my living expenses and allowed me to kind of focus on growing the business without having to worry about a paycheck, that that was the first big win for me, and that came about by just through a happenstance introduction through the agency owner I used to work for, all right, and then happened to be we're all from the same city, right? So, he was starting up a coaching consulting company, and he wanted somebody to help him market it, and I had enough of the skill set, and I basically just walked in there and said, like, you you need me right? Like, we're going to do this. I'm going to launch you a podcast. We're going to get you on, you know, interviewed on podcast. Like I knew enough about that world to kind of confidently say I could do X, Y, and Z. Well, it ends up, I ended up being an equity partner in that company. And, uh, and he's still one of my good friends to this day. Still, we still produce his podcast. I, I co-hosted it for a couple of years. So number one, it was, I worked my network of personal relationships. Mm -hmm. 
And then the second thing, like where, where it came from there is I started to host podcasts and the people that I met through networking, including on just being active on LinkedIn and booking guests for my own show, I would it, like in the course of those conversations, they would ask me what I did. And I would just tell them that, yeah, it's when we basically do done for you podcasting for, you know, thought leader coaches type, you know, co coach consultants. And this is the response that I would get. Holy cow, that exists. I you mean I can just show up and hit record and not have to worry about anything else? I'm like, well, yeah, that's it's basically what I built for myself. And so, yeah, that would that's the response that I would get. That was that first little clue that sent me down the road of like, well, what what is a clear and compelling idea for a business? What how do you how do you come up with like one to two sentences to describe what you do that gets that kind of reaction? Because that was the key to everything. That was where all my early clients come from. It's still where most of my clients come from is just the networking, personal relationship, influence in the circles that I run in. And it's because the idea of the business itself does part of the marketing for me. Yeah. So that when, like when I meet people that are in my circles, they instantly understand what I do. It's clear, it's memorable. And they, whenever they run into somebody that's thinking about podcasting, they go, oh, you got to talk to Matt. Yeah. Like, I'm just automatically that guy. And because the idea of the business is very clear and it's, and it's compelling to the right people. So uh, all that to say, you know, that's, that's where my early clients came from. And you can do the same thing. Like, if you, if you really do choose the right niche and you choose the right people, uh, it's not that hard to get those initial clients. And if you get clients that are influential, and affluent in your space, well, then when you do a good job for them, they they can't shut up about you. Yeah, that's that's so true. And I mean, I said I must say when when I heard you describe that, like the moment you get that, you say what you do, and you get this, oh, I need you kind of thing. You know, I've really had that happen with the Tech Monster book because yeah, when I, I saw I tame the Tech Monster people, people giggle first, and then they go, oh, I need you. Yes, <laughs> you know, so exactly. people get that. Yeah, it's not it's not even about tech fear, it's about tech frustration. It's like, oh, all this yeah. stuff does my head in, right? So it's not that I can't do it, but boy, you know, but people get it. And it's mm -hmm. yeah, it's 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 that now I'm seeing behind you and people who are just listening won't see that obviously, but micro famous. Tell me how that came about because obviously the podcast is part of that. Mm -hmm. What's the other yep. part? And how did that come about? Okay. Well, like, like as an agency owner, as like as someone, I, I wanted more ideal clients, and I noticed that I was running into a lot of the same beliefs in my in my clients, the people that I would work with, and I was constantly fighting upstream against the Gary V mentality of be everywhere, be yeah. everywhere online, be everything to everyone, like never turn down a sale. Like you don't turn down a sale. If somebody wants to hand you a check, you figure out a way to say yes. I constantly run up against that mentality. And what I saw is that it was, it was damaging my clients because it was, it was leading them away from the very thing that would make the biggest difference in their podcast, which is having a very, very razor sharp, clear and compelling idea for their show that cuts through the noise and gets the attention of the right people. So them trying to like be everywhere and appeal to everyone and try to build this big audience was actually leading them away from the thing that would build them a good audience and would actually make them money. So I wrote the book to kind of like fight back and push back against all that stuff and, and basically lay out a vision where you can say, look, you don't have to be everywhere. You don't have to be every, you know, on every social media platform. You do not have to go and try TikTok. Right. You do not have to you do not have to start dancing and singing karaoke to grow your business. You don't have to be everything to everyone. But I wanted to give people the roadmap to show them the vision of what is it like when you are famously influential just to the right people 
and then you can deliver to them a message that speaks really deeply and you can basically happily and gladly repel everyone else. And that's, you mentioned the people struggle with niching down that that's one of the, the parts that people struggle with is look, if you want to strongly attract some people, you're going to have to be okay with strongly repelling everyone else. And you have to be okay with that. And I wanted to give people a way to, to really take pride in that. How do you take pride in only serving a, a focused, perfect group of people for you and not worry about everyone else? Well, be, be famously influential to the right people. Be micro-famous. And then you won't worry about being you know, everywhere all the time and trying to be everything to everyone. So that's, that's kind of why I, I started down that path. And so the first like third of the book is really nothing about tactics. It's nothing about podcasting. It's about the strategy of how do you decide where you want to be micro-famous? Who are the right people? Who are your ideal clients? How do you make those decisions? How do you come up with an idea that speaks really deeply to them so that when you tell people what you do, you get that wow response that you get with the tech monster whisper. And if people get a hold of that, well, then when you do get into podcasting, it actually works and it generates, you know, 10 times the revenue that you put into it. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes so much sense. And you know, the Gary V, it's like, oh God, yeah, you have. And when you said like, don't, you know, you you can't repel or, or reject anybody who wants to give you a check. And actually, rem I remember Landon Porter, the sales gorilla. He really mm -hmm. changed, like, he changed my way of looking at this in this way that makes me giggle every time because he says, no, 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 no. What you want to do is you want to be very careful who you allow to obligate you with their money. <laughs> I love it. That's exactly how I look at it too. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. And I think it's, and it, I think it's, it resonated so much with me because my first, you know, business project that I did for many years was making flamenco dance costumes for, you know, for artists. And mm -hmm. I didn't know that bit. So I was there thinking if somebody wanted something, it was just mm -hmm. my job to give them what they wanted. Right. Yeah. And then I ended up with a lot of clients that I wouldn't have taken on if I had known, you know, this other way yeah. of looking at it. So, and it only dawned on me when I came to this like real p place of burnout where the frustration that when somebody who you really love working with calls and wants you to send, you have to say no because you're full with people, with projects that you don't actually enjoy. Well, I thought, what on earth am I doing? Right? <laughs> so I was well, I slowly sinking in that, no, no, no. If, you, if you're in that working in that space, it's not like a shop where you have to attend to everybody who walks in. Like you choose who you want to work with and to even realize that actually yeah that's okay that's part of like it mm -hmm. took me a long time to get there so that's why mm -hmm. this resonated so much with me yeah and and it took me a while to get there too and to to where now the point like one of my friends jokingly called me the double black diamond master of saying no to a potential client, which which is funny because the day the day he said that was right before I had a consultation with somebody that was a little outside of our ideal client space, and it was a good reminder. So I sent them to another agency. But we all need that from time to time. We all get tempted to kind of get get off course and go. Mm, I could, I can, I can do both. I can do both. I can, I can, I can serve that client too. But yeah, like if creativity is is a really high value, you know, for you, yeah, you do have to be really careful, like who you allow into your life because 
your clients affect your creativity. And you can you can feel like you're being creative in the in the things that you do for them, but if it then takes away from your ability to creatively build your business or creatively pursue your other passions that in business or not, it, it shuts down that part of your brain like we talked about. So one of the things that I've noticed with people that are really creative that might be helpful, because I, I do this, is it's like, well, if I'm gonna focus on like one type of person and I'm gonna sell them basically one thing over and over and over again, where does my where do I scratch my creative itch? And I think there's two places. Number one, you can scratch your creative itch by going deeper into that one problem that you solve, mm-hmm. right? So, so I, like I, can, I, I made a decision years ago to kind of consider myself a marketing professional, but that's a pretty broad thing. You know, I could be doing a lot of different stuff. I could be coaching people on how to build YouTube channels, for example, but I don't, right? Because I want to stay focused on podcasting. So part of where I get the creative itch for podcasting is I keep going deeper and I keep peeling away the, the layers of the onion to help people uncover their idea for their podcast. And that's where my creative, I get to scratch my creative itch every time I sign up a new client because I'm helping brand and launch this whole new thing. Mm-hmm. And every client's a little bit different, even if they're in the same industry. So that's one way that I get to scratch my creative itch. And then the other is with the, the structure of the business itself, right? You can be a solopreneur, you can have a team of freelancers, you can start hiring employees, you can get an office. Like you can also scratch that creative itch just in how you build your own business and how you market yourself and how you take on more clients. So there's a bunch of ways to kind of scratch that creative itch if if you're the creative type. It doesn't have to be with working with a bunch of different types of people and selling them different types of things. Oh yeah, I love that. It's yeah, because it's I think it's most of the time it's more People can't see that bit, can't see through that, oh, if I have to do the same thing over and over, I get bored. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear it all the time, yeah. but then... We well, do the same thing over true. and over again, but yeah, it's, I mean, every every week is, you know, like every new client I take on is a little bit different, you know, and it and it's awesome to help them launch knowing that I've done something in one space long enough to have real expertise. You ever read the book, The Business of Expertise by David Baker? Nope. So he said something in there that was really good and and it really hit home. He said something to the effect of if you're constantly working with clients in new industries or new spaces that you don't know about, that's fine. But just understand that you're charging your client for you to learn because they're assuming you're already bringing that expertise. And if you don't have it, you're having to build it on the fly. You're essentially charging them for you to dabble. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Which is true. Like was, yeah. Ooh, yeah, like hits, hits you right in the center. So yeah, so if you, th- you hear things like that and you go, wow, you're right. I might like to dabble because that makes me feel good, but I'm shortchanging my clients the more that I do that. Like, okay, well that, like, that helps you be okay, like be uh, more settled and confident <laughs> in focusing on one type of client because then you realize, okay, Focusing on that one type of client is what allows me to see those same patterns over and over again. That's where my expertise comes from. You know, I think a lot of people that struggle with, you know, like how am I different and what am I going to tell a client if they ask me why they should hire me? That's a sign that you don't have really strong opinions about how things should be done because you haven't solved the same problem over and over and over and over again. Like that's where those strong opinions come from. And when he when he pointed that out in the book, I was just like, yeah, that was it was just confirmation that, you know, the more you focus on the right kind of people and you solve the same problem over and over again, the more valuable you are to them. Yeah, yeah, you know? and I, I love I love how how you remind us or help us see that 
well, actually, there's a lot of freedom and a lot of creativity and a lot of expansion in going deeper rather than, than wider. You know, yep. so it isn't boring. It's it's just, hmm. yeah, you just... And I'm, I'm an ass, I actually really... That really resonates when I look at the at the sewing where it was like, yeah, 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 no. And I actually said after 15 years, I thought, you know, like now is when I enjoy it most hmm. because I'm really good at it now, right? I can yeah. see a dress and yeah. I can like, I can almost, you know, cut it without a pattern or I kind of know, like, you know, it's almost, it's it's quick, it's effortless that, but that comes from <laughs> all, lots, the trial, lots of you know, all the trial and error and all the, you know, it's that mm-hmm. learned and earned expertise that, that actually opens up a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of room for creativity and freedom and so yeah absolutely that's that's oh yeah and the the thing that i didn't realize you know back probably 2012 2013 when i was just doing like independent marketing consulting things and it was you know probably terrible at it what i didn't realize is that like i started off by charging low prices and attracting people that were going to pay me low prices when I did the opposite, which I didn't necessarily intend to do it this way, I st- kind of stumbled onto this strategy, but working with people that were at the top of the field and charging them higher prices, it forced me to get really good really quickly. Mm-hmm. And what was funny about it is those people that were at the top of the market, they were the most influential. They were also fairly patient with new things, trying new things, experimenting, mm-hmm. right? They had a high tolerance for risk they really only needed somebody to come to them with a good idea that they they had a vision they could see that it would work and you seem like you're competent and you seem like you're confident in what you can do and they'll just say yeah let's try it let's give it a shot i'll pay you a grand a month two grand a month let's let's give it a shot we'll see you know three months later we'll see where we're at you know you try selling something that's five grand or ten grand to the average buyer online and they need a thousand testimonials and a five-year track record and you better have <laughs> twenty thousand followers on instagram or you're nobody and I, I like if I was to go back and slap my former self, you know, five or ten years ago, that's what I would tell you. It's like, hey, just get around, like get around the ultra successful first, mm. and see what problems they have, and offer to try to take a whack at solving them. And I guarantee you'll come across something that works really well, and all of a sudden you'll have something you can package and then take to other people, and you'll have the endorsement of really influential people that'll introduce you to a bunch of people that have that same problem. Start there rather than starting at the bottom of the market and then trying to work your way up and be more expensive. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much gold in there. There's there is that whole idea and I've I've fallen for it <laughs> and I learned it the hard way and I've seen it play out a million times there seems to be that misconception especially in the beginning when you kind of knew somewhere and you sort of know that you haven't actually earned your your expertise yet that yeah. selling something at a lower price somehow makes it an easier sale yes. or and or makes it an easier project Boy, is that wrong? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know because, yeah, I, I know. And there's a, there is a YouTube video, it's called like Selling the Invisible. And I can't remember the lady's name now, but I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Because she talks about the psychology of why that is that people who pay more tend to be better clients. Yeah. Like, exactly how you just described. Yeah, and, and they totally all, are. Yeah, and I know. And I've learned this by accident because I used to have, you know, well, certain prices for my say for the dresses for little kids, right? And I would always feel kind of almost bad because I know kids grow quickly and you know, this year 
the, the kid wants to dance flamenco next year they want to do football so I, I was kind of thinking oh god if that was me I wouldn't want to spend all that money on a dress that they wear right. once a year right so I was going you know and so you try and make it accessible for the parents and whatever you know and boy were these parents a nightmare you know they'd go and I'd have them literally turn the like the biggest the biggest compliment they'd give me was that they would turn the dress inside out looking for some fault to complain. And I'm like, oh, so if you can't find anything on the outside, that's what that means. You know, like that was kind of the biggest compliment. And then I stumbled into a project where I was called, where the deal was already done, fabric selected, prices discussed, Mm-hmm. And th- something happened to the dressmaker, right? And so they yeah. called me whether I could take over. And they were almost sheepishly asking whether I was okay with whatever the price was. And I'm like, well, okay. And I was, you know, quietly, I was like, <laughs> yes. Because it was kind of double, that, double yeah. what I would have charged. The most easy peasy project, simple little cute dresses, parents happy, nobody caused the fuss. And I'm like, what is that? Right? And that yeah. video, Selling the Invisible, really explained the psychology behind it and i'm like yeah there's there's yeah and you can see it everywhere yeah it's yeah, exactly it's crazy what you isn't just it described. yeah yeah yes. i love that i'll have to check that video out Mm-mm. i'll put it in and I'll, I'll dig it out i just can't remember her name now but it's an old video you know it's, it's yeah. you know coffee that tastes fabulous and she really goes it's very funny but yeah so tell us about where people can go to find out about how they yes. become micro famous and what's on the horizon for you well i'm gonna like i love getting you know these types of conversations and i love being on podcasts because they're really fun you know it's fun to talk about this stuff and and reach out and connect with different types of people so if anybody wants to do the same thing that's where i would always recommend that people start to me that's kind of the foundational step of becoming micro famous in this new world that we live in uh, and so if you want to go to how to get featured Dot com. I did a class there on on how to reach out to podcast hosts, like how to craft a story that you can use when you reach out to podcast hosts that gets their attention, gets them to say yes. And uh, so that's there. But everything else, just go to getmicrofamous.com right now. We don't have a full-blown website there. It's just the links out to like the book and stuff like that and the, uh, and the agency. And just track me down. I'm on Facebook. Easy to find if you just type in Microfamous. Fabulous. I love it. Yeah. So what's next for you? Oh, what's Where on you the horizon? Oh, that's a good question. So mainly, I think next year, I'm going to start writing a series of like smaller field guides where we go into like the strat, like different strategies and tactics to build thought leadership businesses, you know, coaches, consultants, speaker, author types, those are the people that I work with. And I, I want to be almost like a, a journalism, you know, a journalist of the industry and start documenting what people are doing, some of the newer business models that are coming out and diff- just different aspects of the thought leadership business as compliments to the micro famous book. And, and yeah, basically we're, we're just out there building the email list, reaching people, promoting the book and, and kind of building influence for the long haul. So yeah, I don't, I don't see much changing for me beyond getting back into the flow of, of writing a little bit more in 2021 and then hopefully the world getting back to normal. Well, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. There was just so much gold in this episode. So I'm I'm looking forward to listening back myself. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. And I'll speak to you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you know people who might enjoy it too, please send them to passionbusinesspodcast.com.